Bibles now, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 13. It's always a privilege for us to open up God's Word, and I think I tell you quite often that everything that we do is uh, preliminary to this, our singing, our praying, all of the fellowship that, that we have with one another is to get us to the point where we're able to look into God's Word and to focus our attention at this place. In the book of Hebrews, God says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's a verse of scripture that tells us that God's word is powerful. And we believe that it is the holy scriptures that have the power to open up a sinner's heart and cause him to come to Christ and to believe in this wonderful message that we preach. And what we could do is what many churches have done, and that's to abandon preaching from the Bible. But we think if we were to do that, that we would also abandon the salvation of lost sinners because it is through the word of God that people come to know Christ as Savior. So we can be the Kiwanis Club, we can be the Rotary Club, we can be the Boy Scouts, we can be your favorite social organization, but we cannot be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ unless we preach from God's Word. Now I want to call your attention to the Word here in Matthew chapter 13, in which Jesus is teaching a lesson about preaching the gospel, And he speaks this lesson in one of his parables, and that was really just a teaching tool that he used to train his disciples. And the parables, as we've discussed previously, were not for everybody. The Jews in general didn't understand these parables, but Jesus used them to teach his disciples things about his kingdom. Now, I want to read to you today again the parable of the sower that we find in Matthew 13. Stand with me once again, if you would, please, for the reverence of God's word. And let me read just the beginning part of this as Jesus gives the parable to the disciples. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for everyone who's here today. We pray that you would speak to us. Help us to learn from you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I should tell you first the purpose of these parables that Jesus gave in Matthew 13. There are seven of these, and he gave them to explain to his disciples about his kingdom, and particularly about the time between uh, when he came to the earth, his first advent, and his ascension back to the Father. 
And that was not a time that was very well understood by the Jewish people. There wasn't much said in the Old Testament about it, even though there is a lot in the Old Testament about the coming kingdom of the Lord and how he will come in power and glory. Yet there's not very much in the Old Testament that would actually help us to understand about this period of time when Jesus came to the earth and then when he ascended back to his father, the time actually after that that we're living in right now. The, the Jewish people expected that when the Messiah came that the first thing that he would do was to restore the kingdom to Israel. They expected that when he showed up that he would conquer their enemies and that he would establish this great kingdom upon the earth that's described in the Old Testament. And they fully thought that if the Messiah came, then all troubles are over, everything's going to be easy from now on out, and we have the king in our midst and his kingdom will begin. But they didn't understand that the time for the kingdom was not right then. The time for the kingdom was not while Jesus was upon the earth in that first advent, not before he was ready to give his life as a sacrifice for sins, but the kingdom would come at a much later time. And this time period has now been going on for 2,000 years. It's the time in which we live. And this time is noted by the establishment of God's church upon the earth. This is a time when the gospel is preached, a time when seeds are sown so that people can hear the gospel and believe it and enter into the kingdom of God in this interim form of the kingdom before Christ comes back and establishes himself as the king of the entire earth. And so what Jesus does here is he begins to explain to the disciples about this interim time, and he does that with parables. And the first one is the parable of a sower, a man who plants his field and he harvests the grain. And this time period from the, from the sowing and the reaping, uh, sowing rather, and to the reaping or to the harvest of the grain indicates that there is a period in there in which something is taking place. It's not the final form of the kingdom, but something is taking place there. And that's something that takes place again, is the church age. It's the time that all of us are living in right now in which we give the gospel to people that need to hear it. You see, God has given us a job to do. We're to preach the gospel. We're to tell people about this Savior that we have, the one who died on the cross, and to tell them that eternal life can only be found in him. So Jesus gave this parable to explain the preaching of the gospel and the different ways that people would receive it. Now again, as we've just read, it's about a farmer, a farmer who sows his seed in the field, and Jesus shows that some seeds will grow and some won't. Some seeds will spring up very quickly and then they'll die. And then there are some seeds that will fall into good ground and those seeds will take root and they'll produce a bountiful harvest. So this is a teaching tool that Jesus is using. And to us, as we look at it, it appears to be quite simple. We've heard it all these years. We've read it in the scripture. So it looks pretty simple to us. But can you imagine as those disciples were listening to Jesus and people standing on the shore as Jesus had pushed away from the shore and standing in a boat and teaching them Can you imagine what they thought when he begins to tell a story about a man throwing out seeds in his field? And he just talks about seeds that fall here and seeds that fall there and some seeds that grow and some seeds that don't grow and some seeds that grow fast and some seeds that die. 
or the plant dies. Well, they had no way to assimilate that information. They had no way to recognize that what he's talking about here is his kingdom. And Jesus didn't really intend for them, the general population, to understand that because they had already rejected him as the Messiah. So what he'll do here is to draw his disciples aside and then give them the explanation of what this parable means. Now, last week we discussed the components of the parable. And all of these components have their significance. First of all, there is seed. And that seed represents the word of God. Or we might say that form of the word of God that we call the gospel. That's the seed. And when that seed is planted, it grows and it produces fruit. And that's likened to an individual who sincerely believes the gospel. And then he becomes a child of God and he lives for the glory of God. Then secondly, there's a farmer, or as he's called here in the parable, a sower. And the sower mainly refers to Christ. But there's an extension to that meaning. It also refers to anyone that would tell others about salvation in Christ. Or, in other words, anyone that preaches the gospel or anyone that witnesses to someone about the gospel. That's a farmer. That's a sower. That's somebody that's giving the seeds of the gospel. And then the third component is the soil. And there are different types of soil. And the soil refers to different types of people that hear the gospel. Soil is actually the human heart. And we're not talking about the organ that pumps the blood in your body. But we're speaking about the ability of the mind to take in this information, to hear it, to assimilate it. Powers of rational thought and the ability to believe what's been said. And so we have these components. We have the seed, we have the sower, and the soil. In today's message, we're going to continue with the explanation of what these things mean. So let's talk about the spiritual condition of people. That's what this all relates to. All of these seeds following in different types of soil relates to the spiritual condition of people. And people are different. And the spiritual condition of people is different. And when the seed is sown, sometimes it produces a good crop and sometimes it doesn't. And that all depends on how the heart has been prepared to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we need to understand is soil is soil. I mean, we're not really talking about a farmer going out and choosing whether he's going to plant his crop in sandy soil or in soil that is clay or silt or something like that. It's just dirt, according to this parable. Dirt is dirt, soil is soil. And that shows us that there is actually nothing physical in people that prevents them from believing the gospel of Christ. It's not your physical condition, not whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're smart or whether you're not, has nothing at all to do with physical condition, but this has to do with how the soil is prepared. It's the spiritual condition of a person's heart. So the key to this parable is the different responses that people make to the gospel. And the condition of the heart determines what that response will be. Now, Jesus did this for the disciples because he wanted them to know that when he went out or when they went out to to preach the gospel and they were witnessing for his name, there would be many people who wouldn't believe. They needn't expect that there would be a 100% reception of what they had to say. Not everybody's uh, glad to hear the news of the king. Not everybody's interested in the things of God. 
In fact, there's a small portion of people that are interested in what God has to say and in the Bible and in living for him and receiving Christ as Savior. So we have an explanation here in verses 18 through 23 in which Jesus illustrates these different responses to the gospel. So what we're going to do is to break the parable down and show how that Jesus uses these different types of soil to illustrate responses. So in verse number 18, if you'll go down to there, verse number 18 in Matthew 13, Jesus says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. Listen up, he says. Now I'm going to give you the explanation of what these things mean. He says in verse 19, When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which has received seed by the wayside. Now the first type of soil in the parable is what I would like to call soil that is stomped. This is soil that's found on the wayside. This is hard-packed earth in which the seed never penetrates. Now, the wayside actually refers to pathways that went through the fields, places where people walked, and these pathways were trampled on. They were stomped on until the ground was so hard that when a seed fell on that particular part of the field that it would just lay on top of the soil. It couldn't take root and penetrate deep down into the soil in order to grow. In those days, they didn't have any fences around fields like we have today. And so if you were traveling from one part of the country to another, you would just walk through the fields. Most of the time, the fields would, uh, the pathways rather, would be on the edge of the fields, but sometimes they did go through the middle of fields. And there would be these hard pathways that people had walked on. Now, this is probably what Jesus and his disciples were doing at the beginning of chapter 12. And there's the story there of how on the Sabbath day that he and his disciples were walking through a wheat field. And as they did, they reached out and they grabbed some of the heads of grain that were growing on the stalks there. So they were probably just walking on one of the common pathways that went through the field. So when a farmer would sow his his seed in the field, he would take this big bag of seed and not having all the farming implements that we have today and methods of spreading the seed, what he would do is just take it by handfuls and just kind of shake it out of his hand and sow the seed as he went. And as he did, that seed would fall indiscriminately on different types of soil. And some of them would fall on that footpath where people walked and where the earth was stomped down and where it was hard. And then when he did that, there would be birds that would be circling around. And they, I'm sure that, that when planting time came, the birds came as well because they knew some of those seeds would fall in a place where they wouldn't grow. They'd be easily visible. And the birds would swoop down and pick up those seeds and they never had a chance to grow. And those birds, according to this parable, represent Satan. Jesus says the wicked one comes and he catches the seed away that's sown. So we're talking about a person here that has the seeds of the gospel sown in a very hard heart. This is a person that is unresponsive when the gospel is preached. This is the one who doesn't really see sin as a problem. He has all of his vices. He has all of his natural desires. 
This is a person been in sin a long, long time, and those sins consume him so that living in sin is his way of life. And you meet these kinds of people as you go through your life. You may desire to talk to them about the Lord, and you try to give them a gospel presentation, but as soon as you open your mouth and you're ready to speak to them about the Lord, they shut you off just like that. They're not interested in what you have to say. They don't care about the gospel of Christ. Their hearts have been hardened. And so when they hear you, they, have, they want no part of it. And so you sow, sow that seed and the ground is so hard, it's like the seed bounces right back at you. And Satan works with these people. He, he is a master of deceit. And what he does is he snatches away that truth of the gospel of Christ before it even has a chance to penetrate that person's heart. And Satan does that in different ways. Sometimes he'll send a false prophet and these people have already believed a lie. They might even be very religious people. And they go to church all of the time. But they have a religious philosophy that makes them think that they're all right. They don't need the gospel of Christ. They're satisfied right as they are. And so these can be people that think that truth is relative. People who say, well, you have your truth, that's what you believe, that's fine. I believe what I believe, and that's fine, so let's don't bother one another. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. You know, I remember talking to a person a while back, and I was trying to give this lady the gospel of Christ, and I, and I spoke to her, and she said, her answer to this was, well, I'm a very spiritual person. She didn't say she believed in Jesus. She just says, I'm a very spiritual person. And in her mind, she didn't need this. She's already taken care of everything. And she's not, she didn't want to make any kind of commitment to the gospel. She was spiritual and she was okay the way that she was. It might also be that Satan has hardened people's hearts by causing them to bow to peer pressure. You don't want to be the only Christian where you work, do you? You, you don't want to be somebody who tries to live a Christian life in your work environment, do you? You don't want to be some crazy Christian, do you? And so they just don't want any part of that. They, don't, they wouldn't fit in, they think. And they know the, the vast majority of the crowd doesn't believe in Christ. There's, I don't want to do that. I don't want to commit myself to him. Then I'd be an oddball. I'd be the odd man out. So I want to stick with the majority. And then it might just be the pleasures of sin. They like what they're doing. They like satisfying the flesh. And when they perceive that Christianity is different and it's a different lifestyle than what they're used to, they don't want to get entangled with it. And so these people sit back and they make fun of Christians and they mock our faith and they throw their stones. And they say, why do you want to go to church? Why do you want to waste your time on a beautiful Sunday morning in church when you could be somewhere else recreating, having a good time doing something else? They don't want any part of the gospel. And that's because their heart is packed down hard so the gospel has no effect on them. Now, Looking at Satan and how he enters into the picture, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, that means Satan, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. People are blinded by Satan, and that's why they don't want to hear the gospel. Paul experienced a lot of hearers that were like this. Do you remember the time that he appeared before Felix, the Roman governor? 
And as he preached to him, Felix was listening to him and Paul preached to him about righteousness and about temperance and about judgment, the Bible says. And Felix had some sensitivity to that. He was listening intently and as he did, he began to tremble at what Paul had to say. But Felix was married to Drusilla and Drusilla was in the family of the wicked Herodians and when she heard what Paul had to say, it had no effect on her whatsoever. It was like he wasn't even talking to them. And so this wayside person is the hard-hearted person. This is the soil on the edge of the field that's packed down and the seed never takes root. It never has the opportunity because Satan is right there to grab it up and take it away before that person is able to believe and the seed begins to grow. So you know these people, you've met them, they're at your work, they're in your neighborhood, any place that you choose to go, you can find them, you want to talk about the Lord, but they're just not interested in anything you have to say. Well, next Jesus describes another type of soil, and this is soil that is shallow. Verse number 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doeth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now sometimes a farmer would sow his seed and it would fall in a place where the soil wasn't very deep. And this isn't talking about rocks in the field, not rocks that lay on the surface. Because a farmer knew enough, what you do is you get rid of all the rocks in your field, you take those out. But this is referring to... That this particular, these particular areas of Palestine where there would be a thin layer of dirt over a shelf of rock that was underneath. You'd have just a very, very thin layer and then there would be limestone underneath of that. And the farmer would go and sow his seed and it would fall into those places and then the seed would begin to grow but the seed was in shallow soil and the roots of the plant would go down and there was no place to go. There's no deepness of earth and so the plant can't take hold. So it springs up very quickly, but the soil's not deep enough to provide the nourishment that the plant needs. Now, how does Jesus describe this type of person? Well, this is the one that hears the gospel, and he's just wowed by it. This is the greatest news that he's ever heard. And so he's joyful about it. So he rushes down the aisle at the end of a service and he grabs the preacher's hand and he says, I want some of that. I want to be saved. And he has this strong emotional response to what's been preached. And you've seen people like this. They come to church and they make their profession of faith and they're on fire for God. And you think, well, there's a person who's willing to charge hell with a water pistol if he has to. I mean, they're really excited about this. But the problem with this person is that underneath, down in the heart of hearts, there's never really been any true repentance. This is a person that never really wrestled with his sin. There's no real desire to get sin out of his life. And so he burst out of the gate with enough enthusiasm, looking like he's going to turn the world upside down. And I've been in church long enough to see this. I've seen a lot of these types. I could name some for you. I could name some that have been members of our church. They looked like believers for a while, and they were enthusiastic about it, but they never really dealt with any sin in their life. They never got it out, and so they shot straight up, and like a quick-growing plant, they couldn't survive because there was no deepness of earth. The sin was still there. 
I've seen people like this that hang out at the preacher's office all the time. And you know why? They're always into trouble over something. They're, they're always, they need the support of the preacher. The preacher has to tell them the next move that they're supposed to make. And then what happens if the preacher leaves the church? Or what happens if the person that they were depending upon leaves the church? Well, they have no support system any longer. And so very quickly, without that root and without the support, they can't carry on any longer. They weren't true believers, and so they fizzle out. And what happens to a lot of those people is they turn to something else. They turn to wild fables, and they turn to crazy religion. Some of them get into the metaphysical. Some go to the charismatic gifts, and... um, They need their emotional fix. They're spiritual junkies that are shallow in the word. There is no deepness of earth. And so they love to get into this emotional, hyped-up type of religion. And they say, well, we love Jesus. But they don't have any idea of what being a Christian is about. And you know why it happened? They never got what they claimed to get. There was never any brokenness. There was never any surrender to the lordship of Christ. And it's one of the reasons why I don't like quick evangelism. I'm not crazy about three points in a prayer evangelism and easy believism because there are so many people that just are that plant that grabs hold of that and they've never been taught to deal with the issue of sin in their lives and coming to God in repentance of sin. Years ago, when I was doing some church consulting, I was working with a church in Connecticut, a Baptist church there, and this church claimed to have more baptisms than any other church in the country. For several years, they led the entire nation in baptisms. They had about 800 years, I could recall, but after four or five years of this, the church had never grown any. Same number of people, same faces, same people, but they were warming up the baptistry every week and running people through it all of the time. But nothing was ever changing. And you would think that with that many people being baptized, that surely the church is going to grow. But I don't know what happened. They took them over there to the baptistry, and for some reason the water doused the flame. And so they they just disappeared. They didn't stay in the church. And this is what Jesus is talking about. These are people that can't stand any persecution for Christ. They can't stand any hardship. When things get tough... Jesus said, by and by, this person is offended. Sooner or later, this person is going to stumble. Now, that word offended that you see in your King James Version doesn't mean the same thing today as it did then. What it actually means is to stumble, to stumble over this. And so the shallow root believer is not a real believer. Sooner or later, he's going to take a big fall and his faith will be proved to be superficial. And so I think that what Jesus is telling his disciples to expect, he's telling them, after you have done the very best job that you can do, after you have presented the gospel in the best way that you know how, some of your converts are not going to make it. They just didn't believe like they should have, and they will not grow into a strong, healthy plant. You see, here's the thing about this. If the confession that you make of Christ does not make you want to get sin out of your life, if it didn't cause you to come in a heart of brokenness, if it didn't come from a heart that felt that you had offended God and that you were deserving of hell, if it didn't come from a confession of helplessness and hopelessness that that you are lost without Christ, if it didn't come with a desire to surrender everything to him, then it's not a true confession of faith. 
And I think we run into people in churches like this all of the time. They say that they're Christians, but they never made a true confession. And a preacher can see that as he's preaching to his own congregation because there are people that are rebellious. There are people that enjoy sin and they want to see how much sin that they can get into. And they're living on the edge all the time. And the sad thing about it is that they're not convicted over that. The Spirit does not make them ashamed of themselves. So they hear the preaching of the Word of God and it flies right over top of their head. They have no idea if the preacher's talking to them. And so the Word of God never hits them like a brick in the pit of the stomach. You have to watch out for that kind of confession because it's no good. It's sprung up, but there's no deepness of earth. And by and by, that person will stumble. At some time, they will go down because faith was not real. And the really, really sad part of it is people can stumble and fall and go to hell right from the church pew. It is so sad that people can go to hell while sitting in a church pew. Well, we go on to a third type of soil. Thirdly is the soil that strangles. Verse number 22. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Sometimes the seed will fall in ground where there are weeds and briars and brambles and a thicket. And when that plant comes up, it has to compete with, for nourishment from all the weeds and the thorns. So this is the person that has everything on his mind but Christ. He's been caught up into his career. This is a person trying to make an extra buck. Money's all that he ever thinks about. This is the one who cares more about his car than he does about Christ. He cares more about the clothes that he wears than looking like a Christian. And there are all kinds of things that he puts in front of Christ. He has divided loyalties. And it really comes down to this. All the other loyalties are primary instead of Christ. And it might be that Jesus never even makes his list because his big I is right there in the middle of everything that he does. And I think that we see these kinds of people in places like the prosperity gospel movement. They don't have any sense of what it means to follow Christ. They love money. And if Christianity is a way to get rich, then if they think God has promised them some big fat return on their seed faith money, then that's what they do. By all means, let's become a Christian. We might become rich. And I don't know if they ever read 1 Timothy 6.10, where Paul said, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Jesus said, You can't serve God in money. And so if you forsake your church in order to make a few more bucks, or if you give a tithe because you think that's going to cause God to, to fill up your bank account, You don't have real faith. As I've said so many times before, what you want is a sugar daddy, not a savior. So what is a true Christian? John describes him in 1 John chapter 2. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so there are things that choke out the plant, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
And so many of these converts are in weed-infested soil. They look like Christians for a while, but it's not long before the true colors start to come out. They get choked with all the cares of the world. And that person you'll never be able to depend on because their roots are in such shallow earth. They're like the ones in shallow earth, rather, and they've got all these weeds there, and their conversion is not real. Well, Jesus next then comes down to the real plant. This is the one who has real lasting growth in the kingdom of God. And this is soil that is soft. But he that receives seed, verse 23, but he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now let me explain something that's very critical to our understanding of this fourth type of soil. Jesus said that it is good soil, good soil. And our question has to be, how did it get good? I mean, soil is soil. We said that, didn't we? So what makes this different? How did it get good? What's the difference in this soil? And I can put it to you very simply that this is soil that has been plowed by the Holy Spirit. See, the heart of man is no good. There's no good anywhere on this planet, folks. There is no patch of ground anywhere upon the earth that's really good. I mean, you give it a short time without some tending, without leave it alone by itself, and you're not going to have healthy crops grow in it. I mean, you just go out and plant a garden in your backyard and see what happens. It's not long if you never look at it, you never water it, you never weed it. It's not long before the, root, the, the weeds take over everything and you, never, you can't even find the plants anymore. They've been choked out. So the soil has to be prepared. Something has to be done. And this soil has to be made good for growing. And it won't be until something happens. And so what the story behind this is that the soil is never good and it's never prepared until the Holy Spirit softens it. Ezekiel said this is what God does, that he comes and he takes the stony heart of flesh that we have and turns our heart into a heart of flesh so it's soft and easy and ready to receive the gospel of Christ. And so you may wonder, why is it that you can understand the gospel of Christ? And why do you believe the Bible? And why, do you, why does all of this begin to make sense to you? How can you learn what this means? And I can tell you it's not because your heart was good. And it's not because you are intellectually superior to the person who's sitting next to you. Oh, this comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. You owe it to the gracious illumination of the Holy Spirit of God. What did we read a moment ago? The devil blinds people to the gospel of Christ. And so they can never open their eyes to see what Jesus is teaching here. The Holy Spirit has to open up the heart so they can hear it. The devil's shutting out the light and God is removing the blinders. You can't open up your heart. Only God can do that. And so this is the soil that's soft, and this is where the Holy Spirit begins to work. It's prepared soil. And when the seed of the gospel falls into this, this plant germinates, it springs up, and it begins to bear fruit. And that fruit is the evidence that the plant is good and it's real. So do you understand that? If you're a Christian, or say that you're a Christian, and you never produce anything but rotten, rancid fruit, then you aren't a child of God. And if you say that you're a Christian and there is no fruit, you're not a child of God. Now, the Word of God tells us what 
fruit will be produced in a person who is a Christian. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is one of the places. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now there is the character of a true Christian. He has these graces in him, long-suffering, gentleness, joy, love, all of those things. He's not soil that's hard. He's not a barren patch of ground like the rest of the world. He doesn't produce weeds like superficial believers. This is changed soil. The real Christian is the one who gives glory to God. Psalm says that these are like trees that are planted by the rivers of water that yield their fruit in due season. Paul said in Ephesians that we have been ordained to good works to walk in them. Jesus said in John 15 that the true branches abide in the vine and they produce fruit. And if you don't have any fruit, then you're not a true believer. Charles Spurgeon, great English Baptist preacher, told the story of a young boy that was out on the street selling mince pies. And this boy was walking along and he was shouting, Hot mince pies! Hot mince pies! And there was a stranger that walked up to him and said, Boy, I'd like to buy one of those pies. So he bought one and he bit into the pie and it was ice cold. And he said, Why did you call that hot mince pie? And he said, Sir, that's just the name they go by. And that's the way it is with a lot of people who say they're Christians. It's just the name that they go by. But they don't know anything about the doctrines of the faith. They don't care about those. They have no more faith than devils have. You know, the Bible says that devils believe also and they tremble. James said that. And I sure hope that your faith is greater than a devil. You know, a devil has more sense than an atheist at least. I mean, that's a little bit better, I guess. Uh, But this is what Jesus is talking about. It's a real faith, that trust. It's a good soil that really does produce fruit. And then we see in Jesus' example that all believers do not produce the same amount of fruit. What does he say? Well, some bring forth a hundredfold, some bring forth 60, and some bring forth 30. And so some of you may be 30 Christians. And that might be because you're a new convert. You haven't had time to produce any more fruit. But you you know what I think Jesus is really talking about there? I'm I'm thinking he's talking about some Christians that are just plain old scraggly plants. That they've been Christians for a long, long time, but they just never did anything. They never produced a whole lot. There's not a whole lot in their life to look at. You know, as pastors of a church, I like to make assessments of the plants that are in the field. I like to see what's growing in the garden. And so I like to evaluate how the field is growing. And some of the lack of growth is mine, and I freely admit that. But some of it's yours. And that's because a thirsty plant craves water. You could be a 60-fold Christian, perhaps, but you just don't come enough. You're not around enough to get the water of the Word. And you know this, every plant will suffer if it's not weeded and watered. So you've got weeds growing around you, and that's sucking the nourishment from you. You've got other things that you're committed to rather than the church and you've got a real good excuse that you think is pretty good that you've got it all figured out how to neglect the church and at the same time be in the will of God. Let me tell you something about what Jesus is saying concerning growth in the kingdom. How is his kingdom going to grow? The methods is church. 
That's why he has the church here. This is the place where plants are fed and they grow and they can spread those seeds of the gospel of Christ. And so if you're a plant that's a Christian, says you're a Christian, you're out there in the world all on your own and you never get weeded and you never get watered, then what do you think is going to happen to you? You're going to be a scraggly plant. When you're watered, you bring forth more fruit. That's when you become a persevering Christian. And by and by, you will not be offended. You will not stumble, but you'll hold out faithful to the end. And if you do, did you do it yourself? Well, no. God did that for you. He's the one that makes you fruitful by the word. Now, here's where we need to take a trip back to the beginning of the message. And I always tell you this. uh, The introductions are very, very important. And we started out with that scripture in Hebrews where it says the word of God is quick and powerful. It's living and it's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. You remember us reading that? Well, this is where we talk about what the power of the word is able to do. You plant the seed and the seed is powerful. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how powerful a little seed is? You put a seed into the ground and it begins to grow and out of that seed can come this vibrant plant. Out of it comes a stalk of wheat with hundreds and hundreds of kernels on that wheat head or a stalk of corn. And you know how that is. How many ears come off one stalk of corn? And how many kernels do you find on each ear? This is the word of God growing. It's the word of God working. The word of God being effectual in in a person's life. And this is how God unleashes the power of, of the word. And so it might be that little kernel of corn. It could be an acorn that grows into a mighty oak tree. And this is how people grow. Sinners that are saved and redeemed. Children of the kingdom of God grow up and be strong and healthy. And they do God's work. This is why we preach the word of God. It's because it has power. And what God does is he unleashes the power of that seed. And then what happens is that we populate the earth for the kingdom of God. And what you have to do, you have to sow the seeds. And the more that you sow the seeds, the greater the opportunities are that seeds fall into good ground and plants grow. So let's sum up. What do you need to do? Well, you need to check and see what kind of soil you are. Is your heart hard? Does it just appear to be soft on the top, but really it's hard rock underneath? Have cares of this life arisen, and have they choked out your Christianity? Have all those things that you're interested in, have they choked out what you claimed was real, but now you realize, well, that was never real because I can't resist those things? Or is your heart good soil? Has the Holy Spirit convicted you with the gospel and have you believed and are you bearing fruit for the kingdom of God? First, you have to determine what kind of soil that you are and how do you determine that? It's fairly easy. The parable shows us. How did you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What did it do to you? How did it change you? And how is your life right now reflecting that you have truly believed Christ as your Savior? Are you bearing enough fruit? Are you scattering any seed? You know, some people say, boy, I sure do wish I could preach. Then I could sow a lot of seeds if I could just preach. Well, the power is not in the preaching. The power is in the word of God. God places it all there. So a six-year-old child can sow seeds. And God can take those seeds and cause them to grow. 
So this is really a great parable, a very instructive parable for the disciples. They're wondering, what's going to happen next? The disciples wanted to know this. What's going to take place in God's kingdom? What are we going to do while we're waiting for Jesus to come back? And Jesus explains, it's a time of your growth. It's a time for sowing precious seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the kingdom. And so it's a time to be busy like a farmer sowing seeds in his field, expecting that plants will grow. That's our responsibility. And Jesus just illustrates it very simply. A farmer throwing out seeds in a field. Where do the seeds fall and how do they grow? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be in your house today. Lord, I pray that something that we said today would touch a person's heart. Maybe there are Christians here that realize they haven't been busy enough and that they have used all kinds of excuses why they don't serve you better than they do. Lord, I pray that especially as we begin this campaign over the next few weeks to reach people with the gospel of Christ, that we would have Christians right here that will say, I will surrender to that effort, that I want to sow seeds. God has made a change in my life, and I want people to know about it, and I want people to be saved. And then, Lord, I pray for someone here today that's heard all of this information, but they haven't believed in you as Savior. I pray that right now that you would change their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would come in and begin to make that ground fertile so this word that's been preached will take hold there and they will believe in you and trust you as Savior, ask for forgiveness of their sins, repent of their evils against you, and trust you and you alone for their salvation. Lord, speak to people's hearts today when we give you the praise for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.